Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? With one last hour of sleep today, anybody excited about that? Amen, amen. Hey, if this is your very first time here at Greenwood or any one of our locations, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, down in Seymour, if it's your first time watching online or at one of our microsites, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first-time guests today? Thanks for tuning in. And as always, if you're not new, welcome back. We're in a series right now called Conversations. We started it last week, and we basically began by saying there's, there's a lot of different types of conversations that we have. A lot of them are fun. I love to have fun conversations about topics that I enjoy. Uh, a lot of my conversations are maintenance conversations, things I'm talking with our staff here at church about, my wife about, just stuff that needs to happen, bills that need to get paid, events that need to get planned, travel plan, all that stuff. A lot of our conversations are maintenance. And then there's a lot of, there's this other section of conversations that need to take place, but uh, I would call these conversations the uncomfortable conversations. Uh, and these are the types of conversations that we tend to avoid because uh, there's a high potential that we could hurt someone's feelings or offend someone uh, or even cause a relationship to kind of fall apart or distance someone. Um, and, and, and so because of that in our personal lives, we tend to avoid those conversations, whether it's at a Thanksgiving meal or with you're getting together for Christmas or wherever you are, we tend to avoid certain conversations. And that happens in the church as well. Uh, I talk to a lot of pastors. I spend time with some pastors uh, throughout the week. Uh, and there's just some things that pastors just don't want to talk about in church because the potential is to really offend some folks and push some people away uh, or even put themselves in a box and be labeled uh, in our world today as a hateful person or a bigot or something like that. And, and so a lot of pastors just will avoid those tough conversations. And I understand that. It's, it is painful. Um, but there is an unintended consequence to that silence. If pastors don't talk about difficult things, if parents don't talk about difficult things, th there, are, there are results. People can be confused. They don't know what God has to say about certain issues. People can be misinformed, like, well, if my pastor's not going to talk about it, you know, I'll, I'll listen to this person, or I'll read this book, or I'll listen to this podcast, and you can end up with the wrong information on very important issues. And then ultimately, if, if you're confused or misinformed, you could end up going down the wrong path for your life and, and making some choices that can really damage you. And so I'm, I, as your pastor, I love you enough to, uh, to, to overcome that fear of offending or hurting and to really try to speak into some of, this, some of these issues to give you clarity so that you can live the life that God has planned for you and flourish and thrive and, and do his will. And so last week, we ripped the Band-Aid off. We, said, we, we talked about same-sex attraction and homosexuality. That was fun. Uh, anybody enjoy that? Uh, That's not necessarily a sermon I, way, I, I dream about preaching. Uh, today is going to be pretty similar, uh, but before we get into our topic today, I want to go back to what we said last week just to kind of inter, you know, remind us you know, the, where we started with all, with all of this. Today we live in a culture that's much like ancient Israel 
where everyone is deciding what is right in their own eyes. That's the culture we live in today. The, the advice that young people are receiving from older people like us is, hey, you do you, or from their friends. Hey, you live out your truth, right? As if there's seven and a half billion different truths out there, right? I mean, it's, it's that, but this is, the, this is what we tell each other. You do you, you live out your truth. Whatever seems right to you, you go chase that. Well, the only problem with that is that I believe, and the Bible teaches, that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. <laughs> there's something fundamentally wrong with you. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and we talked about this last week, so if you missed it, you can go back and check it out, but Adam and Eve chose to, uh, to worship or look to the created thing rather than the creator, and that caused humanity to be, to be plunged into sin, and, and it caused all kinds of problems inside of me to where I want what I shouldn't want, and I desire what I shouldn't desire, and the same is true for you. So to tell someone to look at, their, at themselves or look inside to discover the path for their life or what is true for them or what they should do is really, really sketchy or at best sketchy, at worst just terrible advice. In fact, the Bible says to do the opposite. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your, say with me, your heart. Look to him. And do not depend, <laughs> do not look to your own rationale, your own abilities to reason, your own understanding. That's what that word means. So our culture's telling us to look within to discover the path for our life. And the Bible says, no, 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 don't go there. There's problems there in your affections and your desires and your thought processes. Instead, seek his will in all that you do, your relationships, your sexuality, marriage, all these different things. And then he will show you which path to take. And so what we said in this series is that instead of looking inside, we need to look to the author. We need to look to God. And he's not left us in the dark. He's given us the book, the Bible, to follow. And so that's what we did last week. And we, we took a journey uh, into some passages and looked at same-sex attraction and, and, and uh, homosexuality. And uh, hopefully that was helpful to you. And if you have questions about that, please, please feel free to have a dialogue. This, the title of this series is Conversations. I'm not necessarily preaching at you. I'm just talking with you about these difficult issues, trying to discover what God says about it. Today I want to talk to you about uh, something else I actually think is more difficult than the topic last week. It's a conversation I really don't want to have, but I really feel like we need to have because it's such a hot topic today and it can be terribly confusing to so many people. And that is the topic of transgenderism, transgenderism. Let me define our terms, which is hard to do because as I've researched this and looked into this, man, there are so many terms. It's like a whole world of vocabulary that I can't even keep up with. It's like uh, a different language. But let me, let me try to do my best here to give us a definition of what transgenderism is. Transgenderism is a term used to describe people whose gender identity differs from their biological sex. This is where a boy who's born a biological boy doesn't feel like a boy and wants to identify or does identify as a girl and vice, vice versa. And there's so much more to it than that, but that's the general idea. Now, the reason why this topic is so difficult to talk about hmm, it, it is because as I've done my research and looked into this, there is so much pain surrounding these conversations. I didn't know this, but 57% of transgender adults, this was a study done by over 6,000 transgender adults, 
57% say that they have family members who do not speak to them. Now, I know a lot of us have situations like that, but that is, a, 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 that is an incredible percentage. 50% of transgender adults said that throughout school they were uh, abused and, and talked about and made fun of. 65% of transgender adults say that there has been physical or sexual abuse in their past. And I didn't know, this is the biggest one, I didn't know this, but 69% of transgender people have been homeless at some point in their, lives, in their life. Incredible. A lot of times that happens because uh, they'll come out and they'll tell their parents that they're, they're transgender and the parents really don't know what to do and so there's, there's this fight that ensues and the parents end up kicking them out. And they got to live on the couch of a friend here or there until they become, you know, an adult and try to get a job. If you struggle with that today, or what, what experts call, you know, uh, a, a type of dysphoria, confusion about your gender, I just want to let you know as your pastor, I, I acknowledge how tough that is. That is hard. That is a hard thing. And I want you to know, first and foremost, that you are loved, and that this is a church that you can be a part of and work through that struggle with us. I'm for you, and God is for you. This is a difficult, difficult topic. 2015, Bruce Jenner came out as Caitlyn Jenner. Bruce Jenner, if you don't know who he is, he won the gold medal in 1976 for the decathlon. He was labeled or titled the greatest athlete in the world. And in 2015, he came out as Caitlyn Jenner. Well, that triggered almost a viral movement of young people that started to move towards this idea of being transgender, and it's become extraordinarily popularized. Almost cool, almost hip, almost something to be, not almost, to be celebrated. Bruce won the the Courage, uh, or the, I can't remember what the title of the award was, the, the Courageous Person of the Year Award. Oh, Caitlin. And so today we live in a world where this is affirmed and celebrated and, 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 and lifted up as something that, that we should pursue. Today in our world... The majority of millennials, millennials that represent 23% of the world's population, 1.8 billion of you out there if you're a millennial. The majority of millennials believe, according to a fusion study back in 2015, that gender is fluid. It's a big idea. Gender is fluid. What does that mean? That gender is something that, that can change and it can shift based on how you feel and based on how you think about yourself. That's a philosophical thought. Gender is fluid. A friend of mine sent me this article last night. The government is now, you know, pushing this gender fluidity into the school systems. And principals and counselors are, are being pressured to teach this to their students, which is strange because I thought their job was math and science and history and all that stuff, not not gender identity and all that stuff, but that's another issue. The Chicago Public Schools systems, in a recent training session, the teachers were taught to teach their kids that gender and sex are social constructs that have been created and enforced by society 
The title of the presentation was called Supporting Transgender Non-Binary and Gender Non-Conforming Students. In the training, it was asserted that everyone has multiple overlapping identities and that gender and sex are socially constructed, meaning that they have been created and enforced by the people in society. In other words, the gender that you are is really a creation of what we all have created for ourselves, and you as an individual can participate in creating that. It's an interesting philosophical idea. So now when you get on Facebook, there's like over 70 options for your gender. Of course there is. There really should be more. Like if, if you really believe in that philosophical thought, why stop at 70? There should be 10,000. There should be an infinite amount of gender options if gender is fluid. And in fact, that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing kids go to school and want to be known as uh, what, what is now known as a, a furry. Students want to identify as a cat or a dog or a sheep or whatever it is. And that is acceptable and it's to be supported and encouraged. And I know there's a lot of teachers and counselors that don't believe in that, but you're caught and your hands are tied because the government's saying, hey, you got to support this. Gender is fluid. Whatever, you, whatever the student wants to be, that's what he or she can be. They, they're allowed to decide whatever pronoun they want to be called, and you must respect that and call them by that pronoun. How did we get to that spot? Because I'm 44, and I, just, I remember being in high school, and it was just not like that. And in a very short amount of time, whew, things have shifted in our country. How did we get there? Well, I want to talk about four factors, four factors. The first one is the spiritual factor, and we talked about this earlier, the spiritual factor. In, Ge in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve choose the created thing over the creator, and God says, okay, that's what you want to do. If you, if you don't want to worship me and come to me and be satisfied to me, if you want to go to the created thing, I'm going to hand you over to do things that you should not do. I'm going to hand you over to desires that are shameful, to desire things that you should not desire, unnatural things. And so inside of me, there is a desire for things I should not want. Anybody else human in the room? Anybody else human online? <laughs> Am I the only? Nobody wants to raise their hand. Come on. I'm, I'm first. Both hands up. I want things I should not want. That is the human experience. Where's that come from? The Garden of Eden. It's the curse of Eden. In fact, when Jesus was talking about what it looks like to be a follower, listen to what he says. Whoever wants to be my follower, my disciple, we talked about that in Not a Fan series. What does that look like? This is the first step. You have to deny yourself. Now let's sit and think for a second about that. Can we just talk? Can we have a conversation? Jesus is saying, you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. A cross was an instrument of death. Now what exactly are we denying? What exactly is going to be crucified? I'm going to tell you right now. It's all of the wrong things that you are desiring. It is the sinful nature that you and I have been born with. You ever wonder why your kids are the way they are? <laughs> it's not a social construct. It's not their environment. Yes, the environment has a factor. Good parents, bad parents. But they're sinners. Just like you and just like me. We're like cars that are out of alignment. You ever drive a car that's out of alignment? The tires are just off. And you're driving down the highway and the car just wants to go left, left, left. That's your soul, that's my soul. We want what we shouldn't want. Jesus says, you want to be my follower? you got to correct the tires. You have to deny yourself. We want what we should not want. So there's the spiritual factor 
going on inside every single one of us. And your struggles are different than my struggles. But then there's also the second factor, which is massive today. It's our cultural factor. Now, here's what I mean by a cultural factor. The boxes that we put people in. The stereotypes that our culture creates for little boys and little girls. Our culture says, you want to be a little boy? Okay, here's the box. You're going to like the color blue. You're going to love bicycles. You're going to love to run outside. You're going to love to, to, to roughhouse. You're going to love basketball and baseball and every imaginable sport. You're going to love guns and you're going to want to sleep outside in a tent and you're going to... You get the feeling? That's what it looks like to be a boy. Well, what if you're a boy and you don't like any of that stuff? What if you like to be inside? What if you like the piano? What if you like poetry? Music. What if you like to paint and draw? Huh? Right? What, what did dads say to their sons when they discovered that? Come on, son. Let's go do something manly. Stop acting like your mother. Stop acting like your sister. And all of a sudden, this boy feels like he's not a boy. And then society jumps on top of that and starts to make this little boy doubt and question his own maleness. So maybe I'm more like the girls. And we do the same exact thing with girls today. We put this little box out there and we say, little girls like dresses and princesses and high heels and makeup and all this stuff and hair and blah, 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 blah. Right? And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but it's just a box. And if little girls don't like that stuff, what do we call them? What if they like to run outside and play and, and throw a ball and, 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 and hit a ball? And what, what if they like to get dirty and, and, and sweaty? What, what do we do with those girls? What do we call them? Yeah, exactly. See, you know. And all of a sudden, this little girl doesn't feel comfortable in her own skin. She doesn't feel female because the society and the culture around her is telling her, mm, you're not so feminine. And then you throw all this stuff and social media and pictures of famous people transitioning. And it's like, well, maybe I should just. So there's this, there's the stereotypes, there's the spiritual factor, the cultural factor. But then there's also this third factor. And this is huge. It's the experiential factor. And what do I mean by that? Well, this little boy or girl that doesn't feel very much like a boy or very much like a girl goes to school. And then, you know, because they're not dressing like the typical girl or dressing like the typical, typical boy, someone makes a comment. Oh, you're a fairy, you're this, that, whatever. They start using these terrible words. And their experience now is, is shame, right? They're being made fun of. Now they're questioning even more. Or maybe the experience is this, you, you, you're, you're a boy and you grew up in a home and your father is abusive and all the men in your family are abusive and they do terrible things, maybe it's physical abuse, maybe it's sexual abuse, and all the men in your immediate experience are not good men, and so you start to despise maleness. You associate all of those terrible things with being male, and you're like, I don't want to be a male. And, the, and I've heard stories of trans women who've said, you know what, all the women in my life were weak and pathetic. And I looked at all the men, and they were strong, and they had the power, and they, they had the authority. And I'm like looking at the women, and I'm like, I don't want to be female. I want to be male. I don't want to be abused. I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong, and I want to be in power. And so the experience around them, they, they learn to despise their own, their own gender because of their experience. I mean, there's so many. This is not a simple issue. 
This is multi-layered and very, very complex, which ought to cause all of us to have a tremendous amount of empathy. Yes? But then there's this other factor that I believe allows the other three factors to kind of flourish and express itself. It's the philosophical factor. The philosophical factor. I said, what are you talking about? Well, back in 1770, a man named George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel was born. Say that five times. George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. This is a picture of Uncle George. Can you imagine if that was your uncle? Yikes. I mean, scary looking dude. Um, not a very happy looking guy either. I mean, the guy needs to smile a little bit. Anyway, um, he came up with this philosophy uh, many, many, many years ago that the best way you can describe it, and it's actually documented in this book, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, which is a fantastic, fantastic book on sexuality issues, and she has a whole chapter on transgenderism. She, she traces it all the way back to this gentleman, Hegel, who basically taught this idea. Hang with me for those of you, for those of you who don't like history class. This is going to sound a little bit like history class, but it's really, really important. He taught this idea of, of pantheistic evolution. Now, what is that? that? That is basically this idea that, that the universe is God, and you are a part of the universe, and the universe kind of is this cosmic force that involves all of material possessions, including human beings, and it's shifting and molding and evolving. It's called pantheistic evolution. And uh, he's just trying to explain the world that he's seeing. Well, he wrote all about this. And, and guess who picked up on his philosophy? A guy named Charles Darwin. Heard of him? He came up with the theory of evolution. He started to study Hegel. And, you know, he put all this together and then tried to explain how we get trees and animals and all this stuff. And so he came up with his, with his philosophy. Darwin was an atheist and uh, and, and to an extent, so was Hegel. He was trying to explain God, but got really far away from the biblical idea of God. Well, then guess who picked up on Darwin's stuff? A guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Ring a bell? Probably the, one of the most famous atheists that's ever lived. He picked up on Darwin's stuff, who built upon Hegel, and, and Nietzsche wrote this. He wrote a book called God is Dead and Big Time Atheist. This is what Nietzsche wrote. Everything evolved. There are no eternal facts, and there are no absolute truths. In other words, pantheistic evolution is exactly right. Everything is evolving. There really is no God. It's just like the, 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 the universe is shifting and changing, and human thought and human consciousness is part of that universe, and it's evolving and shaping, and there are no absolute truths at all anywhere in this world. So, he, so, so Nietzsche writes all his stuff. He was a German philosopher. Well, then, after Nietzsche, there is a guy named Jean-Paul Sartre, who was an existential philosopher. And he picked up on all of these writings, and he came to the conclusion, uh, this conclusion right here. There is no human nature, because there is no God to conceive of it. So, again, this is atheism, and if there is no God, then everything has evolved, and if everything is evolved, then where does that leave us? Very, very important statement. Man, therefore, is nothing else but what, but that which he makes of himself. This is the end product of Hegel's philosophy. You are what you make of yourself. 
If you want to be a boy, be a boy. If you want to be a girl, be a girl. If you want to be something else, non-binary, you want to be no sex, then be no sex. Whatever you want to be, that is what you can be. And that is what is being taught today or what our government wants us to teach our children. That gender and sexuality is totally fluid and it's totally up to you how do you feel which is why you can have a famous actor I can't remember his name he comes out on Instagram not that long ago and says I want to be known as a tree and nobody says anything because what you can be what you would like to be Here's what we have to understand, and, and, and we've missed this. We've missed this because we live in such a politically correct environment today that we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We want to accept everyone, which I get that. I understand that. But when a society embraces a specific practice, whatever that practice might be, let's just say same-sex marriage or, or something, whatever the practice is. Today we're talking about transgenderism. When a society accepts a practice, it unknowingly accepts the philosophy that allows that practice to exist. And that's what we get. Whew, nobody sees it. And I just explained to you, how did we get here today? We have, without knowing it as a society, embraced an atheistic, an atheistic philosophy of the world, which says there is no God Therefore, there is no human nature. Therefore, you make what you want of yourself because you are, in fact, God. Now, I bet for those of you who have supported the trans movement and been you know, an advocate of it, I bet you didn't know in doing so you were also accepting pantheistic evolution and atheism. Wow. See, I like to know how we... How stuff happens. Anybody else? Like, I like to know, like, how'd that happen? I want to figure it out. Because I think it's upside down. Now, let me say this really quick. I believe as a society in America, we have jumped off the cliff. There's no going back. Uh-uh. If you're hoping that, 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 that America is going to become some sort of Christian ideal or Judeo-Christian society, it's over. We have jumped off the cliff. Now laws are being created to support everything I just explained to you. In fact, on, when, you, when you fill out the FAFSA, which every kid has to fill out in order to go to college, it's no longer mother and father. It's parent one, parent two. We are becoming a society that is trying to remove or has, in fact, successfully removed gender. That is where this, that is where this movement is moving or going. A genderless society. So what do we do? Well, we have to start by looking at what the author says. What does the author say? And he, he does speak to this issue. Now, the, Bi now the, the Bible doesn't have the word transgender in it. It does not. So, surprise, surprise. But it does speak to gender issues. In Genesis chapter 1, this is what we read. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then it says this. Male and female, he created them. Now, you can say, well, okay, that's descriptive of what God did. But I also believe, not only is this descriptive, not only is God describing what he did in Genesis 1, I believe he is also prescribing, like a doctor would prescribe you a medicine or prescribe you a workout routine or whatever, do this. I believe this is descriptive and also prescriptive. Now, why would I say that? Because of the next verse. Look at verse 28. Then God said to them, be fruitful and 
multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. In other words, he's talking about the purpose of the male and the purpose of the female is to fill the earth with humanity. There is a design and there is a purpose behind the genders. The man is born with a penis and the woman is born with a vagina and there's a purpose to that so that we can create children and so that we can populate the earth. Can you imagine? Think with me. Think with me. Can you imagine if Eve says to Adam, you know, I don't really feel like a woman. Deal's off. Don't touch me. Or if Adam would say, you know what, I, I, I know I, I, I'm, I'm a man and I have, I, have, I have male genitalia, but I don't feel like a man today. I don't want to be with you. Listen, you and I would not be here today. See, there's, there's design and there's purpose to the male and to the female. Thousands of years later, someone comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, uh, can a man divorce his wife for any reason at all whatsoever? Just, you know, he doesn't like her, whatever. She didn't cook good enough. <laughs> Jesus, l- listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 19. Haven't you read the scriptures? Haven't you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 27? And Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which he's about to quote? And then Jesus quotes them, Genesis 1, 27. They record that from the beginning, God made them, say it with me, Male and female. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24. And then he said, this explains why a man, a male, will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, a female, and the two are to be united into one or to, to, to be one flesh. And then he goes on to say, as we pastors say at weddings, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What Jesus is talking about is how, this is how a society is built. This is how families are built. Families are built on the male and female gender. You say, well, does the Bible say anything else about transgenderism or anything like that? Well, again, it doesn't have that word in there, but it does speak to this issue in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman must not put on men's clothing and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord. Now, some people will say, I can't believe you use the Old Testament to kind of teach New Testament ideas or modern-day ideas of what we should do with our sexuality. Isn't this outdated? Well, if you were here last week, I explained that there are three types of laws for the Jewish people. There were ceremonial laws, there were civil laws, and then there were moral laws. The, cer- the, the civil laws were for, their, for them and their government to live at that day. Their ceremonial laws were revolved around all the laws around their different types of ceremonies. But the moral law was true for all people at all times and all places. I believe, and I believe I can prove it with evidence, that the sexual laws found in Deuteronomy and Leviticus fall into the category of the moral law, and that includes this passage right here. Men should not dress up as women, and women should not dress up as men. It's the closest the Bible talks, speaks to on this specific issue. There's a man named Walt Hewer, born in the early 1940s. And um, as a little boy of four years old, his dad would take him over to grandma's house. And grandma was a seamstress, and she made dresses. And she thought it would be cool one day to, to, to make a dress for her little grandson. So she did. She made a little purple dress. You can find his story on YouTube, by the way. Walt Hewer is his name. 
And when she dressed him up in this little purple dress, she said, oh, you look so cute. And he felt real, you know, like it, it, was, it was fun to be admired and called cute. And, and so this went on for some time without his parents knowing about it. And, and then he would begin to take the dress home. And when his parents weren't home, um, he would, you know, different dresses, he would dress up when they were. And it was a big secret. Well, long story short, you know, this goes on for a long, long time. He becomes an adult. He gets a job at the Honda Corporation, big, really smart guy. He actually ends up uh, working on one of the uh, Apollo uh, missions to the moon. Super smart dude. Well, then in his adult life, he finally gives into this, these feelings and emotions, and he begins to transition into a woman, Laura Hansen. And for eight years, he lives as a woman. And it's difficult and it's hard, and he's continued to try to figure out what's going on. He doesn't quite feel comfortable with all this. Eight years later, he finds Christ and starts to realize that he's made a mistake. And so he detransitions back into a male body. And now he's lived as a male for 35 years. He's been married for 24 years. Here's a picture of his little journey right here. This is Walt as a young man, transitions to Laura, and then he transitions back to Walt. Here is what Walt said about his experience. The biological fact is that no one can change from one gender to another except an experience. What is he saying? He's looking at Genesis 1, and he's realizing when, when, when a baby is born, the, bi, the, the biology of that baby is their gender. Now, I know there's a whole movement out there of people that are talking about intersex, and, and that is an issue, and, and those are basically people that are born with their sex is not quite that clear, and it's not, and so doctors say, I'm not gonna talk about intersex right now. There's actually a great chapter on intersex in this book, Embodied. Uh, he deals with it in a, in a very, very scientific way, Preston Sprinkle, so you can pick that up. I believe that's a specialty issue that we're not talking about today. I'm talking about babies that are born with the, chrom the right chromosomes and the right biology. The biology determines the gender. That's why doctors will write down, when they look at the baby, they will write down male and they will write down female. Here's what I want to share with you today. Your biology is unchanging. You can take hormones, you can do a surgery, you can dress differently, but as Walt said, your biology is unchanging. Here's what else I want to say. Our feelings are constantly changing. Your feelings are constantly changing. And it, if, if you have this specific struggle, the folks that are going to try to help you are going to dive into how you feel. I took a gender dysphoria test online last week. Out of the 27 questions, 22 of them had to do or were asking me about my feelings. What, what if feelings change? Did you know that 80 to 90% of middle school and high school students who express some, some, some questions about their gender, 80 to 90% of those feelings go away as they, go, as they move into adulthood? Why? Because feelings change. Did you know that there's a huge spike, huge spike, for those who've transitioned and had the full transition, even the sex reassignment surgery, there's a huge amount of people that are detransitioning and reversing their surgery, which, by the way, is a horribly painful, long process 
that has a whole bunch of problems connected to it on its own? Why would they detransition back to their original? Because feelings change all the time. Our culture is telling, telling us, you do you. Listen to your feelings. And the Bible's like, don't trust in your own heart. Lean, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge it. Let me ask you a question. Today, where the government wants school systems and school counselors to, to, to encourage students to follow their feelings at 12, 13, 14 years old, can I ask you a serious question? What were you completely sure about when you were 12 or 13? Such that you would consider an operation on your body that would change your body forever? Look, I didn't know anything at 18, let alone 13. But yet we're encouraging students of the most, some of the most important things about their mind and their body to do what they feel like they want to do, and they can't even get their homework done. What, have, what are we doing? So what have I said today? Well, I've said a lot. This is a delicate, difficult subject. It's a lot of pain surrounding this, a lot of difficulty, a lot of confusion. I believe with all my heart that gender theology is rooted in creation theology. I believe with all my heart that our biology should inform our gender identity. That's what I've said today. That's what I believe God's word teaches. So what do we do with that? You've got a friend who's struggling with transgenderism and thinking about transitioning in the process of transitioning. What do you do with that? Do you take him and beat him up with it? Oh, sinful, it's wrong. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Please don't do that. How about you show grace? Just show grace. Understand this is complicated. There's spiritual factors, there's environmental stereotype factors, there's, there's, there's cultural factors, there's philosophical things that are being pushed on young people. They don't even understand what the philosophy is, which just sounds good. You do you, you live out your truth. It's complicated, so show grace. What does that look like? Well, Preston Mitchell says it like this, or Sprinkle, sorry, Preston Sprinkle. I love, I love the way he said it. He said, our truth, meaning the truth from Genesis will not be heard until our grace is felt. People really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do you care about them? What does it look like to care for somebody who's walking down this journey? It means you don't turn them into a project. Just walk with them. Love them. Realize that they can have faith in God and even pursue Jesus and yet still have questions about their gender. That's real. <laughs> like, hey, how about this? Do you have any struggles? I do. And I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I've got stuff going on inside of me that shouldn't be going on. Like, what are you going to do? Like, well, fire me as your pastor? Well, maybe we should. You know, if you've got to be perfect in order to follow Jesus, right? So, so show the grace that, you, that Christ is showing you and walk with folks through this journey. Love them well. Don't turn them into a project. And if you, are, if you are a person who, who, who has gender dysphoria or you're struggling with all this stuff and there's confusion or you're in the process of transitioning, just a couple of thoughts and then we'll wrap up. I want you to understand this. You are loved. I love you. 
God loves you. And this church is a place for you. Someone once said, the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners. <laughs> a hospital for broken people. And I'm the first one. And so even though you might disagree with what I've said today or disagree with what the Bible says, I want you to understand this is still a place for you to walk through life because of love. Does that make sense? The second thing I would say to you is that look to God, not your feelings or experiences to figure this out. Our culture is wanting you to look to your feelings. Our culture is wanting you to look to your experiences, what other people are doing. And that's a huge temptation. I believe the best advice to give you today would be to look to God. This is what God says about your body. Listen to this, Psalm 139. The psalmist wrote this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In the, NL, in the NLT it says, I am fearfully and, 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 and made with complexity. That's, that's, we're complex people, right? We're not simple. There's lots of things going on inside of us. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. In other words, God, my body is your works. And it, and it is confusing at some times, and there's things going on inside of me I don't quite understand, and I want what I shouldn't want, and I feel certain ways that I, I don't think I should feel. But God, it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and I receive it as a gift from you. That's what God would say to you today about your, your body. God would say, I made you the way I made you. Let your biology lead you on this journey of finding your gender identity. And then lastly, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. You don't have to. Lots of trans people, as you listen to their testimony, whether it's on YouTube or somewhere else in a book, at least that's what I'm hearing, is they feel alone, like nobody understands, they can't turn to anybody, they're embarrassed. If they tell their parents, they're gonna feel rejected. Listen, here at this church, you can email me. You can Email our counselors. You can call the church. You can express it. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to chase you out. No one's going to kick you out. We're going to say, hey, okay, let's work with this. Let's talk this through. Let's meet. If you're a middle school student or a high school student, we have high school pastors at every single campus. Greenwood, Seymour, Banta, Franklin, wherever, whatever campus you're at, Garfield Park, online, there are people that you can talk to. There are people you can speak to. You don't have to do this by yourself. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, as we wrap up today, I just, I just want to say, I'm the first broken person among us. We've talked today about transgenderism, and we said some things that, that, that you know, could lead a person to think that, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, the church doesn't accept, the church doesn't. We're all busted. Is there anybody here that's not busted up? Any, anybody, is there anybody here who's not on the struggle bus? <laughs> I've got issues. And every single one of us need Jesus. Jesus said one time, I'm coming back. In fact, he said it in several different places. I'm coming soon. I'm going to return. Did you know that when Jesus returns, he's going to restore humanity? Did you know that? Did you know that when he returns, he's going to restore creation? No more volcanoes, hurricanes, no more earthquakes, right? He's going to restore and heal earth, and he's going to restore and heal your soul. 
It's gonna put the pieces back together. That's why he came. He's the savior. He's the healer. He's the physician. He's the doctor. You need him, and I need him. The thing that blocked us from a relationship with Christ is what happened in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) We chose the created thing over the creator, and that separated us from God. And that explains why we're in the situation we're in today. But Christ came to fix all that. He died on the cross for you, and he died on the cross for me to pay for our sin, sin, to remove the penalty of sin. And so if you would like to step into a relationship with him today, all it requires is faith to believe that Christ is the savior, that he died for you, and he rose again. If that's where you're at today, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Take these words, make them your own, and trust in him today. Will you pray with me? Just say this to him, dear Jesus, I need you. My soul is broken, fragmented. I'm like a car out of alignment. Would you straighten things out, please? Would you heal me? I ask you, enter my life right now, please. I trust in you, I believe in you, that you sacrificed your life on the cross for me to not only pay for my sins, but to redeem my soul, to begin the healing process, to bring me safely home to your Father. And so I trust you today with what little faith I have. I believe you not only died, but came back to life to forgive me and to make me your child. And from this day forward, teach me to not lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways to acknowledge you and trust that you're going to show me the right path to take. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. If you trusted in Jesus today, whatever campus you're at, if you text the word SAVED to 65248, we'd love to put one of these boxes in your hand. It's a saved box. Inside this box, there's a Bible with a reading plan, information about how to get connected to the church, baptism, small group, and also a special coffee mug in here to say congratulations on trusting Christ today. If you trusted Christ online, just uh, give us a little bit more information in there and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. Pick one of these up at your campus after you text the word SAVED at the information desk. Can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. Next week, I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about, but it is going to be another uncomfortable conversation. Are you so excited? Are you excited about that? Just one more uncomfortable conversation. Uh, So can't wait to see you next week. Bring a friend. Let me pray real quick and we'll hand things off to the local teams. Lord, we love you. Thank you for giving us the courage and the love and the grace to have a difficult conversation but to have it in a way that is loving and uh, filled with grace. Lord, I pray for anybody here who's struggling with these issues, that they would feel the love and, and, and just continue to take this journey with their church family and not to run and not to leave and not to go away. And so God, I just pray that you would work in people's hearts that way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. Love you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend.